Hello, everyone, and welcome back to How Do You See Your Glass, the podcast, and also the launch of our Empower Garifuna Woman Collective project. I've been working on this project since February. It was an idea that came to me in which I really wanted to highlight the contributions and the accomplishments of Garifuna women. As a Garifuna woman myself, I know what it's like to really navigate the world um, as an indigenous and also as a Latinx woman. And I really just wanted to use this space to really highlight the amazing work that these women are doing. And so I hope that you enjoy and please, please be on the lookout for our next um, Empower Garifuna Women Collective in november and i hope that you guys do sign up and so please enjoy and again for those of you who don't know me my name is allison and if you are a first-time listener welcome i hope you enjoy the concept that i do have and if you haven't already please follow us at how do you see your glass the podcast on instagram that is hdy.syg podcast again that is hdy that syg podcast i hope you enjoy hello everyone and welcome back to how do you see your glass the podcast um so today we have a special guest her name is jennifer nunez and so um i'm gonna allow her to introduce herself um because again this is her show (laughs) i'm just in it and so um without further ado um, Jennifer, thank you for being here and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey everyone. So obviously, thanks, Allison. Um, my name is Jennifer Nunez. I am 24 years old, born and raised in Harlem. Um, I guess if we get into like the topic of today's talk show um or podcast, my parents are from Honduras. I am also, I guess, Honduran American, get it for now. Uh, my mother is from Travesilla. My father is from Bahamar. They are neighboring villages, neighboring pueblos. So I came Bahamar more, but you know, yeah, that's where I'm from. <laughs> no. Oh, wow. That's cool. Okay. And so, um, like, where did you grow up? And, like, what school did you attend? Um, like, and if you did go to college, what was, like, your current or um, your area of study that you study yeah. okay so I grew up I was born and raised in Harlem um shout out to 8th Ave um but yeah grew up in Harlem um went to Frederick Douglass Academy FDA 1 on 149th and 7th um I also attended Howard University the real HU um <laughs> <laughs> I studied well I'm Switch majors a lot for real, for real. But ultimately, I graduated with a bachelor's in criminal justice and sociology. Okay. Um, and right now, the plan is to attend. Um, I want to say Clark. I'm really, really hoping for Clark. Okay. Um, oh, Clark. So okay. Continue um, the HBCU trend. You know, HBCU got to show love. For my master's in social work, which is what I currently am working in now. Okay. Um, So, yeah, just kind of trying to solidify myself in the field. Oh, that's so dope. Okay, so now that we're on the topic of just, like, higher education, I kind of want to, like, tap into that a little bit. Um, So, like, I really kind of just want to explore what made you decide to go to an HBCU? Um, and how was your experience there, like, as a Garifuna woman? 
Um, it's so funny because growing up in high school, like a lot of my guidance counselors and, you know, just teachers, they didn't push. I, I didn't know actually anybody, to be quite honest, that went to an HBCU that I can that, that I can say like, yes, such and such said to me, do that. Like, no, like yeah. my high school really pushed for SUNYs, um, lots of PW. SUNYs is understandable because, you know, you pay state tuition is I get it like financially speaking but um they push for SUNYs they push for a lot of PWIs and stuff like that um but however there was this one college tour that it was the only college tour I attended um and we went to I think we went to two HBCUs so we went to Lincoln I lied three HBCUs so Lincoln Howard and Morgan okay and of course we went to like Towson. They're all like in the same kind of period or whatever. Um, and I really just felt at home at Howard. Like that's how I ended up choosing Howard. Like we went there, we stayed overnight and stuff like that. Um, so that's how I made that decision. I was like, I just have to come here. Like, I don't care about nothing else. Like I applied to like <laughs> three SUNY, sure. Like I started, I applied to another PWI upstate and Howard. I was like, I really don't give a flying, you know, about these other schools. I'm really just trying to get into Howard. Once I got into Howard, I was like, all bets are off. I'm leaving. Like, so that's how that decision was made. But it wasn't like it was um, I don't know, pushed in my high school. Like they didn't really talk about HBCUs. Oh wow. Well, that's interesting. Um, and it kind of like segues into my next question that I was gonna ask you was like, so once you did get to Howard, like, do you feel as though you were prepared for college? Um to an extent, yes. Um, I kind of wish there was like, um, I forget what they call them, like dual classes where you take like college courses, like stuff that'll go towards your college um, credits. Because I took eight classes in high school, which was cool. But um, I feel like for me personally, the way I used to carry myself in high school Okay. And when I got to college, it was like a real reality check because I was what quote I was quote unquote naturally good on at things if that makes sense like mm-hmm. academia, um like I didn't really have to study much in high school I didn't really like I was just naturally a straight A student, mm-hmm. like I did really well, um at high school middle school whatever like just mm-hmm. growing up it's something that was that came really easy for me, you know what I mean? Like, and then the transition to college was a bit different because I always had a good sense of like a work ethic, but I learned that this is a whole different ball game. You know what I mean? Like, um, so now I do have to study. I do have to read and prepare for class before actually going into lecture. So I know what we talking about. Like, you know, it was, it was just a different setting. So to an extent, yes, I was as far as like work ethic. Like I know I can do it. It's just how I have to go about doing it now. So yeah. Yeah. And the tools really do change and you have to be able to like acclimate to that environment. And you're also like kind of in a melting pot in college. You're like, you're around different people. Right. Um, and so like, I guess with that, um, I kind of just want to ask you like, so have you always, um, like been surrounded by the Garifuna culture or was that like an identity you questioned either like as a child or in college and kind of later decided to explore? Absolutely. So with that, um, 
I grew up in a two-parent household. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly grew up with my mom because my dad um, works overseas, so he wasn't really like home for real. So she did most of like the raising and the disciplining and stuff like that. But my mother made it her business to know we was Garifuna people, like mm-hmm. um, just even growing up, like in the projects and stuff. Like you know, yeah, y'all from here, but understand that our culture is a little bit different. Like there's certain things mm-hmm. that are acceptable that are not acceptable. Like. My mother, I've been going to Honduras every summer, literally my mother, my both my parents would plan a trip every summer to Honduras, like all of our siblings, I'm one of four. So we would all go um, since I was about six months old. I recently stopped going because your girl passport is expired, but um, we definitely took trips to Honduras every year without fail. Mm-hmm. Um, um, church was a very big thing growing up. My mother, took us to Garifuna Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to my aunt who put us on. Um, so yeah, she had it like the, I was, me and my sister was in a pastoral. I don't know if y'all know what that is. It's like, um, you know, the kids that bring up like the, I don't know they call it, like the little bread up to the priest. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bring the Bible up to the mm-hmm. altar and stuff like that. Like, okay, so you guys are active, like in the- right in the Garifuna Mass. Um, I knew a lot of the songs growing up. Like my mother spoke to us in Garifuna and Spanish, okay. um, oh. mostly because those are obviously her primary languages. Um, we only spoke English amongst ourselves, and when I say we, that's me and my siblings. Okay. Um, but yeah, my mother made that a thing for us to know who we are as a people and like you know um prayers um I don't know all of the cultural stuff the cultural foods how we worship you know our ancestors and stuff like that like yeah all of it has been a very prominent like thing in my life like yeah it's funny that you um you brought up the ancestor aspect of it because um like obviously Garifuna people are very spiritual and like um kind of like healers right like a, we grew mm-hmm. like around that like healing process and things like that and it's really interesting that you say that because um I was having a conversation with someone and they were talking about like Garifuna spirituality um and kind of like people are not even just Garifuna people but just black women in general kind of going back into that like herbalist mindset and like wanting to heal naturally and so like um I'm not sure like if you are like more like familiar with like kind of like the natural remedies like is that like something you grew up even like were exposed to or grew up like learning if you can speak to that um, I can speak to it a little bit. Okay. Um, growing up, I was a sickly child. I was uh, born with sickle cell disease. Um, okay. And eventually I had to have a bone marrow transplant. So I was, my mother was very big on like medicine, like pharmaceutical mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, her sister, who's a very close aunt, mm-hmm. um, she's more of the you know, masseuse, mm-hmm. uh, take your herbal teas and she has recipes for everything. And yes, we tried those. And now that I'm older, I'm more inclined to, I will try it at home first. And if I can't figure it out, then I'll go seek a, um, you know, a doctor or whatever. But yeah, um, yes and no, I guess. Like it really just depends on who I was around at the time. Um, but because I spent a lot of time as a child in a hospital, we were more inclined yeah. to like, 
seek out doctors but that is a really good point like I have other family members and my grandmother mm-hmm. on my father's side um she's very into that too like when she used to come babysit us and stuff like if we were sick we wasn't drinking robots and we was drinking some funky <laughs> pee or whatever like you know what I mean like so yeah like it's it's something that is engraved in my family but because of my personal medical history um mm-hmm. we also mm-hmm. seek doctors too because there's yeah. some things that we just don't know too much about yeah yeah for sure um another podcast that kind of speaks to this is the gutty for Not sisters podcast um, they really talk about that, like um, spiritual healing, um, like herbal medicine. But a lot of what they focus on as of right now um, is really kind of just like, I wouldn't call it religion because I feel like people identify as spiritual. They don't really identify with religion. But um, it's really kind of that aspect of like being able to worship with the, to the ancestors without necessarily putting an emphasis on like, I guess that higher power being a, a guy. Yeah, I feel like right. No, I definitely understand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I get exactly what you mean because I feel like a lot of times we go to doctors and they mm-hmm. can't really specify what's wrong with us. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's I've, and that's happened. That I've seen that a lot with not only myself, but my mother. Um, yeah. And so when my when they can't figure it out, and I think as we get older, we get more in tune because now that my mom is a little bit older, like if they can't figure it out, she's setting up her altar, you know, setting down plates of food mm-hmm. for her for her mom and her other past family members. Oh, that's um, nice. And yeah. you know, praying to them and having them give her some clarity on what it mm-hmm. is, you know. And then, like for whatever reason, give it a week, and she's feeling like a lot of leaves. She's feeling leaky. She's <laughs> yeah. feeling better. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 real. Like that's really real. Mm-hmm. Like I think people think like it's it's like I don't know, like some juju or whatever. That's a real thing. Yeah. Like, sometimes, but that's that's a colonist mindset too, because you also have to remember, like European people, European people did impose the whole like Christianity thing on African people like we right. were never like and it's not to say there's anything wrong with religion because there's nothing wrong with any religion people identify with but um you know as African people we did start off as like very spiritual people who were very much in tune with the ancestors but you know obviously with like missionaries coming into um like, the pueblos yeah and, like and then you mm-hmm. also come into the United States and then you get exposed to like Catholicism and like you know different forms of Christianity obviously people are going to go the way that they most identify with but like obviously we know like the most natural way to interact you know with a higher power is really just talking to your ancestors and then like you said it really is real like you really just have to like be in that moment so well I feel like on Twitter and stuff like because I'm very big and active on Twitter like people talk about spirit guides and like our ancestors and stuff but I feel like if you know, you know, like, it's really just one of those things. Like, if you know, you know, because literally our answers are our spirit guides. Like, they walk us into, like, what's right. They steer us away from what's wrong. Like, they can literally, like, you can literally talk to them and they will show you the way. So it's like, I think that applies to, like, medicine and, like, just spirituality in general. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I'm sure we could go on and on about this, but <laughs> um, to kind of switch gears a little bit, because you mentioned earlier, like how you would go um, to Honduras, like almost every year since you were a baby. So mm-hmm. I really just wanted to know for you, at least, like, what did a typical day look like for you? And I would say in a, your household in Honduras, because I'm sure it was very different from your household in Harlem. 
So absolutely. Yeah. So in Honduras, we knew it was vacation time. Like okay. we were lit. I feel like in the States we have a more structured uh lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mother at the time when we was younger, like I remember from like elementary up until like uh early high school, so like ninth grade, my mother worked eight hour shift, 12 eight hour shifts, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. sometimes she'll work 12 hours sometimes she'll work eight hours so when I wake up in the morning with my because I have two older brothers they they were mostly in charge of us because it's my two older brothers myself and my younger sister um when I woke up in the morning my mom was already going for work but there was like breakfast already set up for us to eat we go to school or my brothers would come pick us up from after school around six mom got home at eight we ate dinner homework was done by then we going to bed and we're doing it all over again this is in the state mm-hmm. whereas when we're in Honduras we lit like it's about to be a good time so you my mom and dad they both wake up they make breakfast um we probably have a whole day's worth of like activities to do like um I don't live neither in Travesia or Bahamar I live in Cortez so oh, like, oh, okay so you would okay right so my father has land in Bahamar um, okay but we didn't they didn't build there like we live uh, okay. in, in the city but um, you would you visit like um yes so that was oh that was like an everyday thing so like okay. expect, we made my mom centered the trips around like the ferias so like we would be uh, there around the time of the feria bahamad yeah. because at the time bahamad oh, wait really was, quickly for those who don't know could you explain what a feria is so a feria is like a carnival type um celebration in the village um and it's like literally a week so sunday there's mass you know you go and you worship your santo i forget what's the santo for bahamad i gotta ask my dad but you know you go you worship or whatever Mm -hmm. then after that obviously it's a party it's a situation um and up and down it's like a Think of it like a Vegas strip because Bahamad <laughs> is really a strip, like Philly. So, so at the church, like we live, you go to different champas, which would be like different, I guess, huts for lack of a better, um, different businesses. So you have bingo, you have all different types of like entertainment stuff. Yeah. Um, there would be a baile, then you go dance in the um, Centro Comunal, which is like obviously in translation, a community center. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a big carnival and celebration of the village and its establishment. Yeah. And obviously in the, in the midst of all of that, we give praise to our saints and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's more of a Catholic thing, but you yeah. know, it is incorporated. Mm-hmm. So that is always like, I think Feria, the Bahamani Feria is like late June, early July, something like that. So my mom would always always there. Yes. So my mom would always center our trip around that that video. So we would leave just in time to be there for that. And Mm -hmm. so we wake up in the morning, we ate. And if we didn't have time to eat, we'll just eat out like outside somewhere. Like we'll go. It was more relaxed. I think my family like dynamic was a lot more relaxed Mm -hmm. than it is here. Um, obviously because it's summer and because like I feel like at home there is no real structure to when you have to wake up, when you have to do things. You can do things literally at your own leisure. Yeah. So you're free. Um, So it's a lot more free, you know? And my mom definitely made it her business to take us to Travesia and Bahamar. 
yeah. um, so that we can go see our family members. A lot of my family members now live in the States. Um, so if I ever went to Honduras, like now, I probably wouldn't have many people to visit. But definitely made it her business to take us down, even though we live in the city. Like my mother never wanted us to have that like attitude of like, oh, because you, you know, you live in a, in a bigger home than your family members and you live in a city and you have more yeah. available to you you know you're no better than you know what i'm saying than mm-hmm. our people and she always wants us to be humble so yeah yeah i definitely agree humility is really especially because like being in the states is like people may think in honduras like oh my god like and i was again i was having this conversation with someone like people may feel like okay because you live in the states and yes i i would never like deny that i am privileged because i have more access to a lot of resources right. um than my cousins in honduras but like this idea of like the american dream and like how that gets shattered when they actually come here and like you said like you know your mom worked long hours you know like just to provide and like your dad was overseas and so really talking about like how Garifuna people view the American dream but then also like when they come here and they realize like it's not all that it's hyped up to be so it's kind of like that glass ceiling yeah right so I think for me growing up my mother made it her made it known like mm-hmm. you know we didn't come here for y'all to just be anything you know what I'm saying yeah. Mm-hmm. you gotta just grow up and do make nothing of your lives and obviously success looks different to everybody so she didn't necessarily put us in a box of like oh you have to go to college or you have to do this but because y'all are born here take advantage of all of that all of the things that are available to you you know what I mean so if that is college then do it if you want to do it but like you know that was a thing that was always instilled in us like y'all have to you have to want better for yourself because you have so much available to you yeah you know yeah yeah I definitely agree um so now um to pick up on the identity aspect um so obviously this is a really controversial um conversation I would say or topic yes a very controversial topic um of like whether you should we should identify as Garifuna or Afro-Latinx right um or both so my question to you is um so like do you identify as Garifuna or Afro-Latinx, so do you identify as both and kind of like what made you decide that? <laughs> this is funny because <laughs> um, I think I've taken on every okay. identity at some point in my life or another. I think now at 24, I, I definitely identify with Garifuna. However, okay. I feel like it depends who I'm talking to, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so if, take for instance, I'm just meeting someone, and I've actually done this before. Like, um, if I'm meeting someone and they like, oh, because I went to, all right, let's take it back for a second. I went to school with a lot of African-American people, Hispanic people, when I say Hispanic, you know, Latin, whatever, like light skin, long hair, cookie cutter latin people mm-hmm. and so you can you know they would have names that are hispanic that are latin you know that they're hispanic they speak spanish in the whole ways and stuff like that like it was always weird growing up because it's like well she's the black girl who speaks spanish you know what i mean like and this is before like afro latinidad i guess was a popular mm-hmm. topic you either were spanish or you were black mm. Um, so I guess growing up, 
I really, I didn't care to explain it to people because some people got it. Some people really chose ignorance. And I guess ignorance is bliss for some people, but I'm not, I'm not here to explain myself. So growing up, I used to just say I was black and that's just that. Like, um, I didn't really explain myself. I didn't care to explain myself because I feel like at the time people were in quote unquote, I put air quotes around that woke, Mm -hmm. um, and I get it. We were young. We weren't really exposed to those things. And I feel like after a while, I didn't really even take on Afro-Latina as a thing because of the history behind Black people and how they are treated mm-hmm. in Latin, you know, countries and communities and stuff. You know, even take Arifuna people like we all live by the beach. Every pueblo is by a beach. <laughs> no, That's like for real, true. on the outskirts of like towns and stuff like yes. that. And they living in it for free. Like <laughs> that is not on purpose. That yeah. is not on purpose. You know what I mean? Like I don't really know how to explain it further, but it's like that's not on purpose. Like, you know, even with like now, like our community leaders being in like jeopardy of like being mm-hmm. in serious trouble. So it's like yeah, it's not. I, never, I I can't I can't get with the Afro Latina thing, especially because yeah. now a lot of people who this is gonna be so controversial. People are gonna hate me for saying this, but even people who have two white Hispanic parents, yes, are claiming Afro Latina, yes. that, and that shit yes. is so disrespectful to me. Excuse my language. It is so disrespectful to me because yeah, I agree. When you look at telenovelas, when you look at hell even Univision's uh whatever not just to call them out but just the news you yeah. don't have many black news anchors you know yeah that's what, you know? I don't think any of them are black you know what I'm saying when you watch telenovelas we uh, black people are used as servants as sirvientas somos mozas we are your average you know mm-hmm. or you're the villain you know so I can't I, I really can't get with the Afro-Latina thing um, I think it's become a really popular thing. Shout out to Amara La Negra for mm-hmm. being, I guess, being one of the few people to bring that to the forefront of yeah. what it is to look like a black woman, be a black woman, stand in that and still be Latin. Yeah. Um, and I respect it. I just can't get with it. So now that I'm, you know, I have a greater understanding of the history and stuff of what it is to be Afro Latin. I really don't care for you. Y'all can keep that. I'm gonna go ahead and be black. <laughs> And I'm going to go ahead and stand in my, you know, be black and be Garifuna. Now, I can explain further to people, like, you know, I am black because, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, look at me, you see a black person and that's fine. I'm completely okay with that title. But again, I go back to my point of it depends who I'm talking to because some people might question further, like, okay, well, your last name is Nunez. Now I get into the whole thing of like, you know, I'm Garifuna and I get into explaining my culture and how we ended up, how I ended up speaking Spanish by default. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess it really just depends who I'm talking to. But overall, I will say now I definitely uh, identify as Honduran, like a black Honduran. Um, And then like, depending on where that conversation leads, I am now more willing to explain my culture to people as opposed to like when I was younger. Cause I used to get mad. Like people are just like, are people really that dense? Like I used to be so pissed. So now I'm definitely more willing to explain like where I come from, what it means to be Arifuna and stuff like that. And Honduras and in Central America. 
Yeah, I, I feel like when I was younger, people didn't even know what Honduras was. Yo, they'd be like, oh, you Mexican, you speak Spanish. No, Mexico is not the only Spanish-speaking country. Or Panama, too. <laughs> or people would be like, oh, yeah. are you... I get Dominican a lot, too, a lot, even yeah. now. Like, And I'm like, okay, I'm not offended, whatever. But I'm not Dominican. <laughs> not Dominican, either. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think growing up, Honduras wasn't even on people's radars as kids, mm-hmm. like, you know, so... It, it, it kind of was a, a issue of like ignorance, not necessarily on purpose, mm-hmm. but I feel like I just wasn't wasting my breath with these kids. Just wasn't worth it. Um, but now going to HBCU, I think helped me get rid of that because I've met so many mm-hmm. different kinds of black people and different kinds of, I bumped into so many different cultures that now it's like, well, shit, I'm not going to hide mine. You know what I mean? Like, I'm very yeah. proud to speak out of you I've always been, I think it's always been so hard to explain to people who are not from New York. Yeah. I feel like I, growing up here, I knew a lot of people, like I hung out with a lot of my peers and stuff like that. So it wasn't hard to be like, yeah, like, you know, we out in the park, whatever I, I like. But, not the park you know like just having something to relate yeah. to someone you know That's what I mean true. like I feel like going to HBCU kind of helped me because it's like you meet so many different black people with so many different cultures it's like yeah well I'm not gonna hide mine like I want to explain to you too like what mine is mm-hmm. you know so yeah it kind of just depends who I'm talking yeah. to and stuff but yeah I agree. and I, I definitely agree I feel like now so I had explained this to someone as well um and I was like, I used to use it very interchangeably, but it was because of um, like where I grew up and like, well, how I grew up. Cause like my mom, she didn't speak Garifuna to me. She would only speak Garifuna to like older family members. Um, mm-hmm. So we only spoke Spanish. Like my first language is Spanish. I didn't know, like I didn't learn English until like probably two years of being in school. And like right. we would listen to like bachata all day. Like that's how I was like, I feel like I know more like bachata, merengue, salsa songs than like garifuna songs. Like I didn't really like my family, we dance punta, like, but it will be one of those things like if we having a party and the DJ play it. Like it's not like right. oh, we're gonna celebrate Garifuna culture. Like mm-hmm. the only thing I we really had was like maybe the Garifuna mass, which we had in Brooklyn as well. But mm-hmm. that was like close to Easter and that's once a year. But it was never like, let's celebrate the Garifuna culture and like, let's teach our kids that this mm-hmm. is like their culture. And also I, I didn't go to Honduras literally until my senior year of college. Once I graduated actually. So that was yeah. 2019 summer. So like, yeah, I kind of like always identified more with just like the Latinx side. Also, cause that's just really what I was exposed to. But like now I'm very much like, nah, I'm Garifuna American and like, and like you said, like if people want to know what it is, I will be more than willing to explain. But I definitely do identify as like a black woman and Gadi mm-hmm. So absolutely, definitely I can definitely agree with that, agree with that for sure. Yeah. I feel like it really does depend on your upbringing for real, for mm-hmm. real. Because my mother only spoke, my mother barely speaks English now. You know what I mean? And okay. She's, yeah. yeah. So I think it depends how our family acclimate once they get here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that plays a lot into how we see ourselves who we can identify with and stuff like mm-hmm. that um so yeah i could definitely agree with that yeah and so for us to close off i would just want to ask you what is a piece of advice you would give to getty for now women listening right now who probably have had a similar experience i would just say to be proud of who you are um 
And if you can scream it from the mountaintops, do that because I feel like a lot of us want to be black and that's fine. We are black people, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking away from our blackness. However, we should be proud of our culture mm -hmm. and stand in that, like stand in our truth. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. when you are out and being the boss black woman that you are making own, you know, like I am, I gotta use my woman. Like, I feel like we just need to really stand in our truth and be proud of our culture. Like, we come from a very resilient people. You know, our parents and our, you know, generation, our ancestors have fought to preserve our culture. And I feel like that's something that we should mm -hmm. carry with us. And if we can, share a little bit of that with the future generations to come. So, yeah, that'll be my advice. Yes, no, I definitely agree. And thank you for actually coming and like sharing your story. Because I really do think that people need to hear it. And that's actually one of the reasons why I started this is that people can actually like listen to like similar experiences because being God, it's, not, it's just it's just really unique because I feel like we're just one of the few people who still kind of have that like African culture. Like, you know, it hasn't really been with the exception of like religion. Yes, but it hasn't really been infiltrated to the point where we can't trace our roots. And I think there's so much privilege and like you said, pride in that, that we do need to take right. um, moving forward. So yes i love this thank you for having me i Thank you.